I'm Alex Shaw. I'm Sharon Shaw. Welcome to School of Everything Else. Gravity Falls, Season 1, Part 3. On this podcast, we will be discussing the remaining eight episodes in Season 1, and that will include full spoilers for Boss Mabel, Bottomless Pit, The Deep End, Carpet Diem, Boys Crazy, Land Before Swine, Dreamscaperers, and Gideon Rises. Once again, welcome to our guests, Victoria Luna B. Grieve. Hi. Theo Lee. Hello. Karen Nagisa. Hey there. And Debbie Morse. Hello. And don't stop till you've covered that sign with glitter. Glittery signs attract tourists. Also large birds. That's funny. Okay, is it just me, or is having Grunkle Stan as a boss seriously the worst? I know, right? Why do we even put up with it? I tried to give him a suggestion to improve the shack once. I had this idea where I could be like the mystery shack mascot. Question me the question mark. I'd ask people questions, you know, do the question dance. That sounds amazing! Oh, cool. Yeah, totally. Yeah, well, Stan said I couldn't handle it. He said what? And remember, folks, we put the fun in no refunds. <laughs> Suckers. You! Ah! Grunkle Stan, you've gone too far this time. Did you seriously tell Seuss not to follow his hopes and dreams because he couldn't handle it? Look, kid, let me break it down for you. Being a boss is about commanding respect. If you give people everything they ask for, they'll walk all over you. No way! I bet you'd make way more money being nice than being a big grumpy grump to everyone all the time. Ha! You think you know more about business than I do? You think you could wear this hat? Yeah, because I give people respect and glittery stickers. Ha! I'd make more money on vacation than you would running this place. Then why don't you go on vacation? Interesting. All right, I'm a wagering man. Three days, 72 hours. You run the shack, and I'll go on vacation. If you make more money than me, I guess it means you're right about the way I run my business. But if you lose, um, yeah, you gotta wear this loser shirt all summer. <laughs> Fine, but if I win, I get to be the boss for the rest of the summer. Plus, you have to sing an apologizing song with lyrics by me, Mabel. Oh, you got yourself a deal, Missy. No, you got yourself a deal. 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 The next one is Boss Mabel. Now, if I may. This is a miniature Bong Joon-ho film exposing the impossibility of moral rectitude within late-stage capitalists. 
Mabel finds her kindness, uh, and it doesn't make for good business. She places her faith in chaos in the shape of the Gremloblin monster, whom she trusts with the key to his own escape, and disregards the whole system, literally swallowing up their profits. So through her kindness, they lose money, though that embodiment of chaos still has a poor relationship with its father figure, whom we can conclude embodies order. They also succeed in the end by adopting Stan's cutthroat tactics only to break even, while Stan is rewarded for being greedy only to fail because unfathomable greed has no end point and because Stan embodies the psychopathic nature of corporate sensibilities whereby he does not know the word please or sorry because it implies a measure of empathy. So, Boss Mabel. (laughs) I like that Mabel has shoulder pads. (laughs) (laughs) And the giant glasses. And that, like, her version of uh, business, it all comes from a 1983 manual. Yes. <laughs> yes. Hey, was, that, was that the year that Wall Street came out? I think so. It's def- <laughs> There's definitely some of that in there. Was that the year Alex Hirsch was born? Uh, um, I think he he's, like, he's 86. Wall Street was 87. Oh. 86, Wall 87, yeah. He's, uh, he's uh, old enough... From me to have uh, to appreciate more nineties references oh, okay. from as from a child's perspective, mm-hmm. but uh, yeah, um, yeah. Mabel's version of business is is a child's version of business where it's like, right, I could just be nice, be kind, and then everything will work so much better. And like I said, it's 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 Bong Joon Ho. It's saying the system is absolutely fucked. Mm. Although compare her child's take on business with Vincent Adultman's, which is is extremely performative. Mabel. I did a business. um, Mabel is very much about applying her own values in a business context. Whereas Vincent is doing things and saying things that are not, his ideas and not his words. He's just absorbed them wholesale from watching people around him. Also, I think from television as well, I don't think he heard anybody around him talking about how mm. they uh, went to the business store and did some business and made made some business today. <laughs> uh, from a business perspective, this looks like very good business. <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, effectively the, 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 the episode is a bet between... Stan and Mabel that uh, Mabel can't make more money than Stan while Stan is uh, quote unquote on vacation Stan is on like has gone to go and basically be on Wheel of Fortune although he didn't actually have it arranged he just turned up and was obnoxious and they decided because of that they've got to put him on TV Yeah, I think that felt a little bit to me like although he's not particularly in this and he's not prominent in this the the con artist that Gideon is is that sort of game show host tone that mm-hmm. um, you know this is somebody who is used to being very superficial and um, flashing a big smile to the audience and convincing them that they're very successful even when they're not mm-hmm. and Stan kind of pushes on to this game show and there are still rules to the game show. There is a framework to the game show, which he stomps all over. Yeah. Sir, you don't have to actually take your clothes off for the money. Sir, sir, don't take your clothes off. (laughs) Cut the commercial, cut the commercial, cut the commercial. 
he behaves like a colossal jerk. And uh, like I said, it, it's, uh, he comes from a system that rewards that. Stan is very clearly, he is someone who does have empathy. And most of the time, while he's, you know, he's trying to calm people out of stuff, he seems like he's fairly small time and he's happy to be pretty small time. So he is a little bit also, he pushes it a little bit extra, I think, because he doesn't really want to acknowledge that he does care and he does like, he likes his niece and nephew and he does love them. And whereas Gideon is like, you know, he's like just greed. He's purely fueled by greed. There's this sense that both Stan and Dipper have access to actual power and yet they choose to do the con thing. I think part of it is what we discover here in Dipper's part of Boss Mabel, which is when you introduce people to the actual supernatural, they recoil. So, But when you introduce them to the image of the supernatural, they cling on to that. Mm, that's when it's, they're interested. That's when they're engaged. And the wow. flip side of that as well is yeah. the, uh, like you said, the... Um, the thing that Stan and Dipper have access to is science and technology. But if you give science and technology to the general populace and you over-explain it and you make it too clear what it is, then they struggle to engage with that because there's too much information that they can't absorb. It needs to be simplified. It needs to be sort of framed in a way that they can see the impact and the effects without having to take on board the processes and the the, uh, the ways in which things work. Yeah, it's one of the it's part of the reasons why climate change denial is a thing. Mm. It is easier to it is easier to deny the science than explain the science. Well, I mean, it's called the mystery shack. You go there for mystery. It's not the explanation shack. <laughs> <laughs> Very fine point. I love how she uh, she tries to motivate everybody with stickers and glitter. And I, I wish, while watching it, that what she was doing succeeded. We all want to uh, uh, to see this new version of things. Like you know, it's like the idea of a child president. Mm. Um, but adults don't respond well to this um, measure of whimsy. They, they they like the trappings of uh, the people who will screw them over, or, or, or just people who will couch things in terms that are familiarly trapping. It, it reminds me too much of an aspect of my work, which is inappropriate gamification and the use of like badging and leaderboards to motivate people which don't work, mm-hmm. because that's not how people work. Yeah. And it's frustrating to me to see that i mean like it's it's depicted really well because it doesn't work but it's just the idea of like oh i'm going to give you this little badge it doesn't have any worth in its own right but it's going to give you intrinsic purpose it's like no actually and the fact that so many companies and schools and things are trying that kind of thing Mm. is so frustrating to me actually (laughs) well there's there's an element of um you know this this is how one motivates very small children the point where that ceases to work is when the child is old enough to go hang on a minute these stickers don't have any intrinsic value Mm. (laughs) well 
having spent over a decade in corporate America, yeah. like, and and suffering anew from this sort of thing because we just got some new execs and they, they you know, the, the, the HR gal is all excited about, she's like, she loves Myers-Briggs and all this stuff. And I'm like, oh God, corporate performative bullshit. Mm-hmm. Oh God, oh God, oh God, oh God. Yeah. Oh, Ultimately, yeah. very little has intrinsic value also. When you think about it. Yeah. Well, the intrinsic value is derived from purpose in work. Mm-hmm. And, like, giving somebody purpose in the thing that they do is the greatest source of intrinsic value to doing something. Mm-hmm. You can't... It turns out that stickers are actually extrinsic values and inherently worthless. <laughs> and, in fact, wow. cost money to annoy people. Yeah. <laughs> they, are, they are, however, shiny, which... The bird part of my brain reminds me does have intrinsic value, but there you go. Only for only for birds and bird type people. There is that <laughs> that pencil tin's not going to decorate itself. Yeah. In this land of ours, there are many great pits, but none more bottomless than the bottomless pit, which, as you can see here, is bottomless. Question. Is it bottomless? <sighs> Kids, could one of you try explaining this to Seuss? Grunkle Stan, why are we here again? To dispose of things that we don't want. So long, Mystery Shack suggestion cards. Goodbye, creepy love letters from little Gideon. <laughs> die! Die! Grunkle Stan, do I really have to be the one to point out that a bottomless pit is, by definition, impossible? Says you. Well, I guess we'll never know. Ah! Some sort of invisible pushing force. Quick, everyone back to the shack. I'm not done getting rid of these yet. Ah. Uncle Dad, no! Almost, almost, almost. Okay, so the next one, Bottomless Pit, is kind of an anthology of interest type show. A, uh, a like a little uh, a trio of short stories of um, speculative fiction within Gravity Falls, where they're telling each other stories whilst falling through uh, an infinite abyss. This one felt probably the most like filler, or like if there's going to be a weakest Gravity Falls episode, it's this. Uh, it's, it's, it's pure whimsy, and there's some great gags in there, but it doesn't really develop anything. But that doesn't mean I don't like it. I just, it, it's, I haven't got a huge amount to say about this one. Yeah. Is, there, is there such a thing as a bottle show in a cartoon? Yeah. Because if, if so, then this, this would be it. I mean, we, we just need something here. I really like the lead-in. For whatever reason, Stan's uh, comment at the very, very beginning where he just says, In this great land of ours, there are many great pits, but none more bottomless than the bottomless pit, which, as you can see here, is bottomless. (laughs) There's something about that line, because you hear it a bunch of times. They actually revisit that moment in several other episodes Mm -hmm. for a variety of reasons. And for whatever, the cadence of that line just amuses me so much. Yeah. Well... (laughs) And the the, the the analytical person in me, which is a, a major part of who I am, so I can't really escape it, is like, wait, there's a bottomless pit in their front yard with nothing, like, no fence, nothing, nothing around it? Well, you just met Stan Pines. I was just going to say, you know Stan's been throwing things he doesn't want down that pit for mm. years. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's like uh, a Coraline thing. You need to have a, a giant manhole cover. 
Yeah, okay, yeah. Have it uh, covered in some way, or especially if, like, it's a wonder no tourist has fallen down there. If they have, who's going to tell? Who's going to tell? Uh, well, when I see, by the end of the episode, they, they then end up, after falling all the way down, springing back out again. So the tourist would, one assumes, go on their way with... Uh, a tall tale no one's going to believe ironically because that's what this whole uh, show is full of yeah Yeah. in fact when you think about it I wonder how many times Stan has thrown out the same things because they just ended up back at the top of the bottomless pits and he sees it and says oh I need to get rid of this and throws in the bottomless pit yeah (laughs) Um, I did notice that Mabel's jumper for this one is the wolf moon uh, uh, image yes loved (laughs) Priceless. Yeah. This is also the first episode where Stan's Fez changes to the to have the little um it looks like a fish with a ball in it now instead of the half or the, the crescent moon. Uh, we we talked about that last episode, but this is the episode where they act or last episode. Last podcast episode. And this is the episode where they actually changed it and then went back and, and digitized it back into all the previous ones. Oh right. Okay. So was it because it looked too much like the hammer and sickle, or what? No, it looks too much like a uh, a Muslim symbol, right. like a, a symbol from Islam. So they they were yeah. like, oh, we want it to be like less close to a religious symbol. So they made it a fish, like eating a Pac Man pellet. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I did very much like Seuss's really great pinball story. Is that a good title? Do they have to be puns or whatever? Um, <laughs> in the sense that I feel it's a callback to Fight Fighters where Seuss's idea of being pulled into a video game is to be physically in the mechanics of the game. Like, it does not occur to him that, you know, to have sort of a digitized world with which to enter. Mm. Now, he always, when he thinks about being inside a video game, he thinks about literally being inside the contraption that the the cabinet, the cabinet mm. itself which i suppose yeah. kind of plays into the fact that he imagines here that they are inside a pinball game because he can imagine the physicality of that exactly yeah uh, it's a tron homage but with pinball yeah which you know again, again it's that's the one thing that this show is missing is the actual tron episode since they have they they set it up twice and never got a chance to pay that one off, and I yeah. really wish they had. If they could pay off everything that they had set up that they were not able to go back to, that show would be many, many seasons long. Yeah. If you look at all of the um, stories in this, with the exception of uh, Grunkle Stan wins the football bowl, all of them are about somebody giving up a thing that they want because they realize that the consequences of having that thing are not worth the actual of actually getting what they want. Mm. Uh, but what I like about Seuss's one is that unlike uh, Truthache and uh, voiceover, what he, the consequences are for other people. He is giving up something that he wants for the sake of somebody else. Whereas with Truthache, they discover that, you know, Grunkle Stan actually telling the truth a lot of the time is not a good thing for them. And with voiceover, well, you know, Dipper just sort of screws that up from word one. Because of course he does, because he's Dipper. Yeah. But yeah, Seuss's thing is that what he cares about are is 
other people's happiness and well-being. It says a lot about the character that that is what he ends up sacrificing his high score for. Yeah, because people all will ultimately always matter more to him than a video game score in this case. The only other thing I have about this episode is that um, Alex Hirsch appears in it as a character that they're watching on TV. The person who's juggling alligators on the unicycle. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. (laughs) Um, I have a note regarding Truthache, which is uh, Stan, because of his new truth-telling dentures, starts going around telling the truth no matter what. It just reminded me of Liar Liar. And somebody uh, on the, I don't know whether it was on the, the um, Discord or on Twitter, said, is Liar Liar dated now? Because it's just about a guy, not so much not lying, but just wandering around shouting out everything in his head, you know, whether that hurts people or not. And that's just the world we live in now. Oh. Oh, <laughs> oh man. Yeah, it makes things way too real. I, I, I'm sad now. Wow. <laughs> I mean, effectively, you could look at Liar Liar and say that um, usually Fletcher has to deal with real life and the consequences of saying, you know, what what he he what is in his head would be that he is ostracized if he thinks bad things uh whereas if you slid the veneer of the internet and the anonymity that that uh, brings in between him and that real life he can then shout out whatever he feels consequence free but in liar liar the 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 gags all ensue from the fact that he does have to endure the consequences of shouting what he normally would with anonymity on the internet at people. Huh. That's all. That was, that was all there was to that. We're, we're probably not doing a show on Liar Liar, but, uh, yeah. It's, um, well, we're all sad now. Yeah. <laughs> okay. You're way too real. So, right, yeah. Ah, the pool! Oasis of summer enchantment. Yeah, nothing like sitting in a moist tub with strangers. It's like the bus, but wet. Why would a son need to wear sunglasses? It's best not to think about it. Whoa, whoa! Stop the presses! Who's that? Oh, yeah. Word is, dude never leaves the pool. People say he's a mysterious loner. Is it getting hot out here, or is it just that guy? It's the hottest day of the year, Mabel. Besides, can't you go for one week without having a new crush on some random guy? Uh-uh. <gasps> Look at his little mustache hairs. You are clearly enamored. Go to him. <laughs> hey, come on, it, kid. Oh, oops, sorry. It's so beautiful. Eh, Mabel's all talk. You want to know a secret? She's never even kissed a guy before. She always messes it up somehow. Oi, women. Ah! Hey, Mr. Pines. Wendy, where's the lifeguard? I am the lifeguard. I make the rules, sucker. Boosh! Ah! She's attacking me with water! (laughs) (laughs) Wow, you work here? I found out lifeguards get free snack privileges. Plus, I get the best seat in the house. Yeah, you do! (laughs) I've been laughing for too long. Dude, are you and Wendy having a secret staring contest? Because I think you're winning. So, hey, you want to go chuck more water balloons with Grunkle Stan? 
I'd love to, but I gotta spend the day doing tryouts. We're looking for a new assistant lifeguard. Hey! <clears throat> hey. What if I was assistant lifeguard? That would be so much fun. You're totally in, dude. You just have to check in with my boss first, Mr. Poolcheck. Your boss? Let's uh, let's talk about the deep end. Uh, uh, and has been, as has been said many many times, basically the the prototype for the shape of water. Uh, one thing that uh, I mentioned the last episode I'll mention this here is that this is the other episode that Alex Hirsch had no writing credit whatsoever on Mm -hmm. which I find fascinating because it does feel a little bit different from the rest of the series you know it's it's contained in one area but that area is split into different stories. So we don't just have an A and a B plot. We have an A plot, a B plot, a C plot, and I believe a D plot, several of which end up intersecting. I mean, D plot if you count uh, the one kid in solitary. Oh, God, that poor kid. It's a great gag, but I just end up feeling really sorry for him and thinking too hard about this boy locked inside a swimming pool. Yeah. Either way, though, uh, Mermando is got to be one of my favorite characters in the entire series. I wish that he had had a return somewhere along the way, uh, just because he is both a little bit more mature than you would expect for a boy of his age, but also baffled by so much of the two-leg dry land stuff that it almost comes off at times as being childish or naive. Mm. So he basically balances himself out. Plus, as a guy with uh, really nice hair, I got to appreciate that. (laughs) Uh, I love this episode because um, Mabel's been, yeah, boy's crazy for episode after episode after episode, but she's not really had a chance to romance somebody until now. Uh, And, uh, and so she gets the chance here. The, I think the only thing that I would change about this is that Mermando, uh, who turns out to be a mermaid and has a little bit of a moustache growing through, um, uh, is in his mermaid years 12 years old. But he sounds, looks, and to all intents and purposes behaves like a man. And although it's a relatively chaste uh, uh, romantic relationship... I don't know why he couldn't just have been like a clearly a kid who's also a mermaid. I suspect the thing there is obviously they're they're doing a little bit of play on romance novels there, mm-hmm. and I think I think that maybe we're seeing this through Mabel's eyes. Mabel sees him as very mature and very. Um, Exotic. Exotic. And so it may be like, you know, there's a there's a crush filter going on there, and he may not actually be... He may actually see, seem like just a kid, but Mabel sees him as, hmm. you know, a man. Although, yeah. later on, he does... Does he get engaged to someone? And so and that drives Mabel crazy later on. She gets a, a letter in a bottle or something that says that... It, I think it was like a... An arranged marriage or something. Oh yeah, yeah. I, haven't, I haven't gotten to that yet. So yeah, I'd forgotten about that. Okay, so yeah, I, like like I said, the, the, the things could have been done to slightly more youthify Marmando a little, and it sucks because 
it's it's a really great episode out, out, you know outside of that one little kind of ah, bit for me mabel can get away with what would normally be cringe humor mm-hmm. because i love her so much <laughs> um like is that your is, is that your mermaid language it is spanish <laughs> stuff like that yeah and but she doesn't feel the embarrassment of it mm. she just sort of rolls her like oh oh okay it's spanish cool i guess that's what mermaids speak and moves on mm. well and and yeah obviously mabel is very obviously sincere mm-hmm. like it's you know you can tell instantly when she's trying to you know mock someone or make fun of them or pick fun whatever she's doing so, you know, something like that, like, that's not a question she would ask disingenuously. And I think you autom- almost automatically know that about her. Yeah. And because she's fun and mm-hmm. awesome in general, really. Yeah. Um, you also get to see in this episode uh, Dipper and Wendy, again, sort of coming close, becoming closer um, through a rejection of authority, which... Dipper just jumps wholeheartedly into. <laughs> it's around Wendy, Dipper lets go in a way that he doesn't anyplace else. Mm. In spite of the fact that he is very much, you know, playing a persona here and kind of play acting being older than he is because he thinks that's what will, you know, appeal to her and will, will impress her. Yeah. The way Mabel uh, approaches boys... Um, I had to learn how to fake to do that when I was her age because I've mentioned this before, but I'm asexual. I didn't know what that was at the time, but I I recognized that everyone around me was kind of going, oh, boys, ooh, new kids on the block. I had to cultivate this weird sort of fake fandom uh, in myself for new kids on the block and pick my favorite one. And it was very strange. Just to sort of fit in with the other girls around me. In seeing that uh, played out with Mabel, it's like it just comes so naturally to her. Mm. It's it's sort of weird sort of I don't relate to this, but in a I relate to this kind of way, if that makes any sense. That makes perfect sense. (laughs) Mm -hmm. But, yeah, it's just like one of those things that I look at now and it's like oh yeah that makes sense and then on on another side uh to keep talking about the trans stuff dipper never has his shirt off at the pool which is a real big trans feel as well because swimming is kind of a a complicated experience for for a trans person and while you know dipper's young enough that it's not like it would be an issue should he be a trans man. Uh, the discomfort of it would definitely be something that would be apparent and, and understandable. Mm. So, <clears throat> The inflatable pool duck revolution is at hand. <laughs> I do like the fact that Mr. Pool Check is super <laughs> intense. That this, this figure of authority that Wendy and uh, uh, Dipper are set against. He's got like um suntan lotion on his nose and he, he's just like that that crazy thousand yard stare of his it's it's yeah. a nice um uh like like not exactly a villain but just somebody who uh is Ant- going to present an obstacle antagonist yeah more? yeah yeah he's definitely come in from something else entirely yeah like, 
he, he's imported in from like I don't know, not just a little bit of like straw dogs or something. Just yeah, he reminds me. He reminds me of a super intense character from a '90s cartoon. Yeah, like any given '90s cartoon from Nickelodeon or um, Cartoon Network. Uh, whenever they would do like a super intense, he has that same uh, bulging vein in his neck, and the eyes sort of pop a little bit. And it's his... very Butch Hartman. Yeah, yeah. That's thank you. That's excellent. Also, it just occurred to me that his name is Pool Check. <laughs> <laughs> is that a play on like, Kolchak? I thought so at first, but no. It's just that he checks the pool. Uh... I thought it was a cold check thing because of the nature of this show, but no, it's just that he checks the pool. Only he's obsessed enough to have changed his name to that also. Good point, yeah. There's a couple of Simpsons references in this one. There's the uh, uh, Stan saying, and now to sit on this chair, thus claiming it as my own, uh, which is uh, Superintendent Chalmers going, uh, okay, I'm going to give you a 10 out of 10, Skimor. First the zero, now a vertical line to indicate the one, and before he can draw the one, uh, yeah. <laughs> the kids come out and cause chaos, so he ends up giving him a zero. There's also the, uh, uh, the like, there's a wet sandwich, which reminds me of the, it's just a little... Uh, wet it's still good it's still good oh um, yeah and then there's i think something along the lines of um uh you know oh, oh may i have some sour candy no which is like um aurora borealis at this time of year at this time of day <laughs> localized entirely within your kitchen may i see it no <laughs> i mean you don't need me to explain steamed hams to you folks one or two of uh, you may have seen it um Oh, I also I just put a note down here. The, the thing just regarding Mermando, the thing I like best is the fact that he's uh, Latino. But uh, if they'd made him more like Miguel in Coco, that would pretty much just have nailed it. You know, just like that level of kid. That age. Yeah. That attitude. Which also allows him to be kind of more uh, freaking out about his situation. Although, like, I, I do get what you mean about the whole romance novels thing, because it's like, I have a deep, dark secret. And, like, his long hair, and he's like, sort of, no, I must hide. And he, like, he uses the, the lilo to hide the fact that he's got a, a mermaid tail. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> his guitar, he could play at least one chord. True, yes. Um, also, I think, uh, doesn't, I could be wrong, and I don't know quite what the dates are on this one, but Mabel's swimming costume is pink with a yellow star and that's steven universe's t-shirt i'm just wondering whether they got like to see steven universe in early development and went right let's just pay a little homage to that maybe i mean they were they uh paid homage to rick and morty before it existed so how did and vice versa um alex hirsch is friends with um what's his name who created rick and morty so they actually put Dan Harmon, thank you. So they actually put stuff in each other's shows that they were going to do to create cross-show puzzles. Right. Uh, oh. For example, um, the stuff that when Stan, in a later episode, starts the thing and gets stuff sucked into it, mm -hmm. those things pop out of a portal in Rick and Morty. Nice. Or um, there was supposed to be one character, a background character who was going to have a message in code on his shirt, and half the message was going to be in Gravity Falls, and half of it in 
uh, Rick and Morty. There's another well, bridge. Um, Darren Aronofsky uh, mentions that when he comes home after a hard day of work uh, of making, you know, his impenetrable films, uh, he likes to watch Rick and Morty. And Guillermo del Toro replied to him on Twitter and said, I, I'm exactly the same way with Gravity Falls. Nice. Uh, well, <laughs> well it, it doesn't seem all that far out of the realm of possibility. That's a fairly small community that perhaps... Um, Alex Hirsch is also friends with the creator of Steven Universe. Yeah. Hmm. I wouldn't be surprised. So that very well may be a little little homage there. And rather than it being the uh, Shape of Water ending, it is in fact the Free Willy ending. And, and maybe yes. it's literally. Punch. Who wants to smear makeup on my face? Oh, you're already so beautiful, Grenda. What would be the point? Beautiful! Beautiful! Mabel, do you think you could do this somewhere else? You're laughing at frequencies only dogs should hear. Come on, it's not that bad. You know what your brother needs? (gasps) A makeover? Ah! (sighs) Hey, Seuss, can I sleep in your break room tonight? Of course, dude. You just gotta make your body go like a video game puzzle block. The trick is to hold perfectly still. Oh, wait, wait. Oh, wait, wait. Oh, wait, wait. I Ow. think I'll sleep Ow. somewhere else. Ow. Actually felt good that time. Oh, wait, wait. Ah, <sighs> sleeping under the stars. Not bad. <sighs> ah, get off! Ah, get <laughs> this is still better. Number six, Carpet DM. This is Dipper rejecting not so much girly things as the smothering presence of too many girls all at once. I can relate insofar as when I was 13, my parents split up and I uh, spent some time living with my mother and sister and the um, overload of estrogen in the house left me feeling very much at odds and very much kind of sidelined. And um, it just, it it became smothering. So I ended up having to go uh, and and live with my father. And there's a whole heap of like life diversion at that stage where I'm just, you know, I've always wondered what if I'd just stayed uh, with my uh, mother and sister, but I was being driven crazy at the time. So it's uh, it's difficult to imagine quite how I could have achieved a sense of uh, normality and claimed my own turf at that stage. But, uh, yeah, this is what um, Dipper's dealing with. Uh, He can't get his own space. Um, Anyone talk about this? But obviously, uh, Victoria, you might have more of an idea regarding the whole masculine-feminine side of it. I mean, I was going to say something, something trans narrative, something. Because in this one, it's so obvious that... Uh, Dipper is uncomfortable by the, as you put it, the overabundance of estrogen in the immediate vicinity. There's also, I, I love whenever they start switching bodies and Mabel in Dipper's body gets the why am I sweaty speech from Stan, mm-hmm. which makes her very uncomfortable being in a body. And <laughs> it just ends up being kind of like round and round where all of the different characters, some of them act very uncomfortable in their body. And, and this is also where we find out what Seuss's fursona is, but... 
I do. I've always wanted to be a pig. <laughs> so it's. I, I don't know if I have a whole lot to say. Honestly, it's just another example of Dipper being really uncomfortable around very feminine things that just further feeds into this very trans narrative that I've been kind of talking about. It's very like right in front of you for this whole episode. It's effectively a body swap comedy from the eighties. So Dipper and Mabel switch uh, bodies and they both freak out. And uh, Alex Hirsch mentioned on the commentary, if you woke up in your bed and your body had spontaneously switched genders, that's a scenario with some benefits. But if you get swapped into the body of your opposite-gendered sibling, that's a nightmare. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and it left me. Speaking of nightmares, um, uh, as you said, uh, the persona for um, Seuss is uh, to be beamed into Waddles' body. So Seuss is wandering around talking uh, as Waddles. The, I almost feel like they overshot with Waddles in Seuss's body. He's terrifying to me. <laughs> he's got this kind of vacant stare. Like, he's he's less switched on than Waddles himself. He's this this gonk man wandering around, <laughs> just sort of <laughs> licking things and shoving his paw in people's faces. It's horrifying. I think my a lot of my interpretation of that was to do with Waddles having to come to terms with walking on his hind feet and sort of being very puzzled about the uh, the fact that everything, you know, he's taller now, so he's got a very different perspective on the world. Mm. So how do animals, especially young animals, interact with things? They chew them and poke at them and, and try and work out what's going on. So that was kind of what that felt like to me, was, was Waddles trying to reframe this entirely new world that he finds himself mm. in. It's 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 well thought out, almost too well thought out. Mm. <laughs> I, I don't want to see that happen in reality. One yeah. um, <laughs> tiny little element of this story that I really like actually was the uh, the the girls sleepover thing, because this was something that I really struggled with as a kid. I didn't get sleepovers i i you didn't they, get to have them were, or you didn't no, no, understand no. them as in i didn't understand them i had one or two like i could i was allowed a friend over to stay and that that was fine i could cope with that mm. but when i went to sleepovers at other people's houses who had bigger bedrooms than i had and could therefore accommodate more than one <laughs> child at a time um just the the concept of being surrounded by people that I kind of struggled a little bit to process during the day anyway. And now I'm in my pajamas and um, <laughs> there's a, there's a whole new level of hell. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, that was, uh, that was terrifying. Um, but that, the, the game that they're playing where it rings and it's supposed to be the boyfriend and then you, you, ah, the idea is to try and, that's the one. Yes. Uh, to try and um, get Kevin to agree to go on a date with you. I had this really weird thought when, I think it's, is it Candy says that Kevin has the voice of a robot? Mm -hmm. Of this little robot sat inside the phone going, I just want to be loved. <laughs> I don't know if I've mentioned this, but my sister had, at the exact time that I felt smothered with the overabundance of testosterone, mm. Dream Phone. Yes, it, I do remember that. I have said this then. It cost 50 quid, which to me was the same as as 
any like it was more expensive than any um, Sega Genesis game, and um, it was a, a case, a process of elimination, wherein you work out what boy the game has decided likes you in this round, mm. and you go around the board and you call different boys using the numbers on the phone, and then they tell you what he doesn't like and where he doesn't it's hang out. Pluto, basically, but yeah, with, kid with far more variables. <laughs> And the, all the boys sound the same, yes. and it was it was baffling to me uh, as, as a game that anyone would even like. Who who who's got a crush on you? Hello, hugs. It's Dream Phone, the electronic game with the talking phone. To win, call guys, get clues, figure out which guy really likes you. He's not wearing a hat. Bye, guys. What he say? My secret. Ah, uh-huh. you. He's not at the beach. See you later, guys. <laughs> it's Dan. Dan, my man. You're right. I really like you. Yes! <laughs> Dream Phone, the hot electronic talking phone game. It's for you. I, I got the mechanics of it, but I, I, didn't, I couldn't get my head around the role play of it, which I think was um, Alex Hirsch mentioned to his sister Ariel on the uh, episode on Boys Crazy that he couldn't fathom her obsession with NSYNC Especially when was it like the Backstreet Boys came out, and then a few weeks later, NSYNC came out, and she dropped one like a hot potato and went straight for the other. And he was like, "This is all manufactured." And he was saying, "But this episode is me apologizing for being a jerk, and you should just have been allowed to like whatever you like." And, Even if they are living in a hamster cage. Yeah. Similarly, the uh, it's it, the Dream Phone is all just kind of like the whole um, like playing into the fantasy of the of it, and it's baffling to outsiders like Dipper in this case. Yeah. And on the other side, uh, I always wished I was allowed to have sleepovers hmm. and uh, wanted those games. I, I actually ended up finding a copy of a game called Mal, uh, Mall Madness, Electronic oh, Talking Mall Madness. Yeah. Oh, I that I, I, still, I still have that. Just can't find anybody to play it with me these days. But I was. I got the Mall Madness back in the 90s. My, my sister and her friends always took a great deal of amusement that I was willing to play a game with them called Pretty Pretty Princess. Mm -hmm. And I was the indisputable champion of it, just saying. But yeah, so uh, speaking of big trans feels, I definitely (laughs) wanted those kind of things when I was younger and couldn't have Electronic Mall Madness, the talking shopping spree game. I'm looking at it now and it says in great big letters at the bottom, it talks! It's, it's I right remember the ads for that one. So what oh happened in this thing? It's right up there with um, Omega Virus for me and like that like yeah. weird electronic board game era. Oh, I, Omega Virus! I wanted so badly. I learned to figure out what my uh, Christmas presents were. <laughs> so like, this was I, around... I went all Sherlock. I went all Sherlock Holmes on my wrapped Christmas presents because my parents used to put them out, you know, a month in advance and just let me, you know. Exp- explore them as much as possible as long as they didn't open them. So yeah, Omega Virus, I'm like, this has got to be Omega Virus. So I like weighed them against my friends and was checking what the box sounded like, stuff like that. So this was around uh, the time when uh, board game companies were panicking because of all the video games out there. And they were like, right, we've got to get the kids with new interactive ways of, of playing video games. So this was around the atmosphere time where you'd yes. be harangued by some old dude on a TV screen playing off your VHS tape as you went round the board. The gatekeeper! Hey, I yes. love those games. I have so many of them. <laughs> <laughs> 
Oh, well, good now times. we know what the next oh. Jumanji sequel's going to be. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Maybe maybe I'll bring him to Florida. Anyway, um, yes. oh, bring back, bring atmosphere and more to madness the, to Florida. Yeah, oh yeah, more madness. I, I'll I'll make you play that, Alex. That sounds like a terrifying time for you. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know which would be more terrifying, having the game. To keep the game. Yay! Holy shit! That dates this show. We must have recorded this episode before COVID made absolutely certain that there would be no Florida trip in 2020. Oh, oh I made myself sad. So what anyway, was the point of more madness? Was it like, you know, you've got to go to lots of shops and buy things? Yeah, yeah. pretty much. You had okay. a credit card. It was like a whole goofy thing. Anyway, there's one thing from the episode I want to make sure we mention that's okay. like really small and subtle that mm-hmm. I think is really cool. Okay. So something that is uh, that I noticed this most recent time watching through it again, that is a really good call forward is Stan finds a pair of glasses that he seems to be pretty obsessed with, but I won't go any further than that. There is that pair of glasses, (laughs) and we will say no more on that pair of glasses. (laughs) (laughs) I did remember what I was going to say. Go for it. Go for it. Um, And both this episode and... And the the episode on uh, the boy bands, mm-hmm. uh, which boys crazy, boys crazy, yeah. Thank you. Yes, we're about to get um, to that. it. It and talking about you know uh, Alex being horrified and feeling you know assaulted by too much estrogen, whereas Luna wanted you know to be a part of that world and experience that and, and et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And it's it's just funny thinking about having been once upon a time a. A, a, you know, screamy teenage girl and remembering, but also having been someone who was, grew up pretty isolated, like, that I did have a few slumber parties, but, and they were some of the greatest highlights of my childhood, because, you know, that was supposed to be the the er example of, of, you know, you've got friends and you're popular or whatever, and so it, it's just, it was a bit nostalgic, I suppose, in a way. Mm. Or nostalgic for what I wish my childhood was, I guess, more than what it actually was. Mm-hmm. But yeah, and also that that at the same time, also remembering, I'm like, wow, that was a lot. My poor parents. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What we realize about Dipper is that he really does not have any friends of his own. Yeah. He spends so much time either pursuing the book or pursuing Wendy that he didn't bother to create any meaningful bonds outside of his sister true uh he uh he is friends with wendy but um because he keeps making her a little bit uncomfortable because she knows that he's um it's not really a spoiler to say she is aware of his infatuation uh he can't really hang out with her and also she hangs out with the other teenagers all the time uh, he he does feel solitary, and his discomfort in this episode is mainly down to feeling uh, rejected and lonely and unable to maintain the twin balance <coughs> that he used to enjoy because his best friend up until he, they came to Gravity Falls was Mabel. Mm-hmm. And now she's hanging out with these slumber party girls, and he's like, well, I can't hang around with you anymore, and that, that sucks. So he strikes out on his own, pushing extra hard. The other thing I love about this episode is when Grenda, you know, wants to be made up, and uh, Mabel says, 
totally seriously, but you're beautiful as you are, Grenda. And Grenda yells, beautiful, beautiful. (laughs) It reminds me of Booksmart, where it's like, who gave you permission to take my breath away? And just that constant (laughs) um, support of each other that they have. I love seeing uh, it when um, girls have each other's backs. Yeah. Yeah. We so rarely see it that it's, it's, I mean, it's, it would be, great regardless but Mm -hmm. it makes it that much more wonderful that you know this show is really has a lot of positive modeling of relationships and yeah the fictional young adult novel Wolfman Bear Chest. Not only do I wish it was not fictional and in fact existed, but I want to hear Jenny Nicholson read through the whole thing for us. Yes! yes. <laughs> and now so do I. I can assure you that while that precise title may not exist, its ilk are many. Caitlin's POV. I had to lie to Josh because I want him to feel sorry for me. Oh, well, there was a storm and I fell, came here to the island, and I builded a small house, and bam, here we are. The true story was I won a competition to spend three weeks in an island. Do you want some clothes to wear? You must have been in these clothes for a long time, I said. Yes, please, that would be great, he said. I walked into my bathroom and made sure I got a shirt that is a size too small and tight so I can see his muscles. He got changed and came out looking smoking hot. He kept staring at this girl, and then she said, Hi, I'm Kate. I just stared at her like she was something I picked off my shoe. Okay. Caitlin and Kate are not only here simultaneously, but Caitlin views Kate as a romantic rival for Josh Hutcherson's affections. Um, some clothes would be nice, she said. I went in my room and picked my grandma's disgusting huge flower dress. Why did she have such a large selection of clothes, including both a men's wardrobe and her grandmother's clothing with her on a three-week island getaway that she was sent on for a contest? What, what contest sends you on an island by yourself? Sorry, in an island. That was a dramatic reading from Trapped in a Island with Josh Hutchison, read by Jenny Nicholson. And you can find the whole thing on her channel. See, it would feel bad if, if we were to read it. I would be, it would be like a, 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 a 40-year-old white guy sneering at young girl, mm. young adult stuff. But when Jenny does it, that's like her turf. If I yeah. go back to age-inappropriate romance novels, it will be to revisit the age-inappropriate stuff that I read when I was a teenager. See, you can do it. <laughs> if it's your stuff, do it. Do it. For one of our quick review feeds, do you it. You want me to recollect my milk Beautiful! Beautiful! <laughs> the other thing I wanted to point out is the marvellous animation touches in this episode to illustrate when different characters are inhabiting different bodies um when uh seuss is in waddle's body his teeth change to look more like seuss's the little sort of like the pointy teeth at the front and just the regular teeth behind um candy when she is inhabited by dipper frowns and candy never frowns mm. she's always so there's happy a slump to her and there's a slump to well. her like but dipper's always pissed off and that kind of made me realize oh dipper's always pissed off like, uh, just relax, boy. <laughs> just, like, like let some of that whimsy from Mabel in. He's not happy right now. And uh, it, it's, he's, this frustration radiates out of him. But when it comes to Sheriff Blubs and Durlin... When uh, one of them is in Old Man McGucket's body, 
the moustache is duplicated very yes. subtly within McGuck's face. It's, it's, I love it. And um, yeah. it's just further evidence that their, their team was just incredibly on the ball. And this episode is uh, an exercise in empathy to literally walk a, a mile in another man's trotters. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I, I was going to say something to that effect. Is that I'm a sucker for a good body swap episode. Oh yeah, because it it makes the characters more empathetic. To oh oh now I understand why character A is is doing this all day and why they're constantly annoyed at me for doing X. You know. Yeah. It's it's I just I just love those episodes even if even if they're you know pr- primarily humor, you know because there isn't enough empathy in the world. No, there is not. Do you have this T-shirt in my size? I have something even better. Behold, my butt. (laughs) (laughs) I could play this game forever. What did you say? Coughing. (laughs) I was coughing. Those weren't words. (laughs) This is fun. What you two have. Mabel, how long have you been standing there? Don't worry about that. Let's talk about why I'm doing this dance. Oh, no. She got into the smile dip again. Wrong 1,000. It's because today is the greatest day of my life. Ow! Several times is playing at the Gravity Falls Civic Center and Buffet. Ugh, several times? Aren't they that boy band that came a decade too late? Oh, girl, you got me acting so cray, cray. Cray, cray. tell me that you won't be my baby. We're not threatening. Mabel, you know all those boy bands are fake, right? Dipper's right. They're just a manufactured product of the bloated corporate music industry. You're making my dance sad. (laughs) There's probably a machine that mass produces them. Or maybe the boys are grown from pods. Yeah, pods, (laughs) totally. (laughs) You guys can't ruin this for me. Mabel's got backup. Hey, guys. Who's ready for the greatest night of our lives? How many times am I gonna love ya? Several times! Next one, Boys Crazy. Again, like uh, it's, this is the one where Alex Hirsch goes back to, to relook at girls going nuts. For, I mean, it's kind of like these two are a great pair together, this one and Carpet DM, um, because the girls get their most kind of teen scream girl crazy in this episode, and Dipper feels the most kind of, um, I suppose, disapproving of what they're doing. Mm-hmm. And I also think that it shows the limits of that support from the previous episode. Mm. Like, Candy and Grenda have got Mabel's back, but they're also willing to tell her when she's wrong. Yeah. And that that's an important distinction. That's important for friendship, that you are willing to not only support your friends, but also let them know when they have gone too far. Or when they have done something that they don't necessarily that they shouldn't necessarily be doing. And the episode reminds me of an old uh, Conan O'Brien sketch, actually, that has stuck in my head since I don't know high school, uh, where he decides to create his own bo- boy band, Dudes a Plenty. <laughs> uh, dudes with a Z, Plenty with an I, uh, with a A, because there's not much you can do with that. But he's like uh, rewarding them with Ritz crackers. And punishing them by uh, changing their names, like whatever, whatever their whatever their name is, he'll change it to something ridiculous. Like somebody talked back to him at one point. He said, "All right, now your name's Doctor W." <laughs> what I particularly like about it is 
the clones are very obviously clones of each other. Mm -hmm. There is basically one model to work on, and it's only slightly changed. We have Greggy G, Greggy C, Leggy P, Chubby Z, and Deep Chris. Oh, Deep Chris. (laughs) He's my favorite. (laughs) And, uh, yeah, they are indeed all differentiated by their haircuts, um, sometimes facial hair, and slightly different outfits uh, up top. And uh, they're, uh, it's, it's... it's the cynical. These are just cl- you know clones of each other. It's like it's it's the boys' perspective on boy bands. But then the show goes right the way around to going yes. But wouldn't you feel sorry for these clones who are effectively being manipulated by their cruel colonel master? And uh, they're they're effectively like hamsters. They're behaving like uh, creatures. And they they haven't ever really experienced real life to the point where when one of them sees the sun, he wants to stare it down, even though it hurts. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And on a little bit more serious note, I don't know if any of you are aware, but the fact that both InSync and Backstreet Boys Mm -hmm. were created by... What I'm, I'm nearly certain that episode is parodying, which is a man named Lou Pearlman. Thank you. I was just looking up his name. He's the equivalent and, of Pete Waterman in the UK, who created the Spice Girls and Banana Rama. And and they like there there's um, been a lot of evidence that you know this man was um, that there's a lot of it, an untoward thing is going on, and like he probably messed those boys up for life. And it's just there's a there's a you know there's a fairly serious undercurrent to this because it's like whoa there's a lot more real here than you might think. Yeah. Well, to the point that they even had Lance Bass come in and do the voice for several times in this episode. Uh-huh. That's right. From That's right. And I mean, you said earlier that this was kind of an apology from Alex Hirsch to uh, his sister. Like go. part of that apology was. What if I got Lance Bass to come and voice somebody and you got to meet him in real life? (laughs) (laughs) This was around the time that Lance Bass was trying to go into space, wasn't it? Oh, I wouldn't. I have no idea. But I just know that he actually did the voice for, I think, all five of them in this episode. Mm. Yeah. Uh, there's, uh, it's, Mabel gets to basically live the dream, which is to not only meet the boy band that she uh, adores, but to actually kind of own them. And, uh, uh, she goes too far and doesn't want to let them go. And her journey is to be able to release them and, 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 you know, if she, if she loves them to let them go, it's, it's, it's simple, but it's nice to see Mabel's obsession giving her, uh, you know, that, that little bit of, um, yeah, like, like show, showing that Mabel can hold on too strongly. Mm. Yeah. Oh my God, I've just realised that's a Back to the Future reference. Which is what? Craigie G and Greggy C. Yeah. Linda, someone called Craig, Craig or Greg. 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 Uh... Well, which one was it, Craig or Greg? I can't yeah. keep up with all your boyfriends. <laughs> um, a, a couple of verbal gags in this one. Um, the uh, where stands. Um, hearkening back to because this one also in, involves talking about subliminal messages in music which of course turns out to be absolute hogwash yeah, uh, swans, yeah. he, he harkens back to a job he had at a, a 50s themed 1970s diner it cuts back to him in like greaser gear so there, there's it's always kind of 
out there as to how old Grunkle Stan actually is. But the, the fact that it's in the 70s actually puts him you know, back to being considerably younger of a man. For a start, it kind of directly pokes the nostalgia that tends to come in a couple of decade cycles. So mm. in Back to the Future, they were, the, uh, you know, hearkening back to the 50s, same as they were in uh, Happy Days at the time. And then in uh, the, uh, well, uh, Gravity Falls is filled with little references to 90s culture. And I think we're about due time for lots of early 2000s references. And it sucks because effectively you're going to be talking about there's a very narrow window between late 90s pool party. Like if you watch the Scooby-Doo films now, the ones with Linda Cardellini, who voices Wendy, they feel like, especially if they watch them in HD on Netflix, like they were made now as parodies of the kind of shitty movies that came out in the early 2000s. When, <laughs> like, the, like, the way to get young people interested was to basically hold a party beside a sunny swimming pool. And dial the colour all up to 11. Yeah, everyone's like wearing garish colours. Mm. A lot of people wearing goggles for no reason. Another great line thrown in there is, um, we, I followed the trail of frosted tips, which, I mean, <laughs> having had frosted tips myself for a short while, I'm like, yeah. I was just going to say, can I tell that. them, but you're confessing to it yourself. So. <laughs> frosted tips are rad and they're coming back. But <laughs> sure, Alex. Sure. First of all, I need tips before I can frost them. Yeah. Mabel, what are you doing on the floor? Being cute and great. And I thought your brother was weird. No, he's more like, ooh, let's solve a mystery. I kiss a pillow with Wendy's face drawn on it. <laughs> That's pretty good. Kissing a pillow. Go, go, chew that pant leg. <laughs> All right, outside, now. No, Brunkle Stan. It's not safe for Waddles outside. There's predators and barbecuers. That's just the natural order. It's not my fault your pig's potentially delicious. He should be inside like a person. People don't roll around in their own filth. Except for Zeus. And we're the lesser for it. Maybe we're the ones who should be put outside. Huh? Huh? Think about it. <laughs> okay, uh, Lamb Before Swine uh, is the one that re-establishes the importance of waddles uh, to Mabel. And uh, it, you got some nice little breakfast club dancing at the beginning. Um, it's a bit of a filler episode again. That the the basic premise is a pterodactyl steals waddles and they get him back. That's about it. I mean, it's 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 a it's kind of a a brief event episode. The thing that's that kind of powers it is that Seuss it starts to kind of mess things up and it becomes apparent that he is a little clumsy and if you go back to the Summerween episode like that you know does kind of land them in in problems every now and then but also gets them out of problems and but it puts uh Dipper in a difficult place where um Mabel actively tells him to tell Seuss to stay away from their escape attempt from their rescue attempt to bring back Waddles so Dipper, and again, it's that sort of arm-scratching, uncomfortable moment of, I actually have to tell my friend that I don't want them with me when my friend is like, you know, bros before dinos, and like, re like I, I just made your t-shirts, and, and, you know, this is you, and these these rays here represent love, and it's it's like, your friend's all in, and just ever having to tell somebody that you care about to back off can be crucifying could be mortifying. Part of that, I think, also is it reveals that 
and it sort of advances the idea that Dipper himself has no friends, except for Seuss, who desperately wants to be his best friend. Yeah. Like, more than anything in the world, just wants to be Dipper's best friend. And I don't think Dipper understands until the end of the episode the depths of that and what that really means. And part of that is that Dipper is a 12-year-old boy, and Seuss is a, what, a guy in his... Yeah, exactly, yeah. It seems a little strange to Dipper, Hmm. but ultimately their lives are a little strange, and the place that they live is a little strange, and it seems to fit in this world really well. Hmm. Also, there's a version of Stan that he purports himself to be in his lies to Mabel earlier, uh, that he... Uh, ends up feeling a little guilty that he's obviously lying about it. It reminds me of um, when Homer Simpson's telling uh, Marge lies about talking to the president on the phone and also gives himself massive muscles. Yeah. Then he sort of ends up by the uh, end of the episode kind of living up to this lie version of himself simply just by following up on on those actions. But it also gives one of the absolute best uh, Grunkle Stan lines, which is when he's bullshitting Mabel about how her pig was stolen um, he says what really happened was he locked the pig outside because the pig ate because Waddles ate his unicorn made of corn um, and a pterodactyl swooped in and stole him but what he tells Mabel is I was suckling Waddles using a baby bottle, nursing him (laughs) feeding him only the richest of creams and that line just kills me. Like it's it's such an embellishment of the story. <laughs> like, what kind of creams were they? Rich creams or like <laughs> just the richest? <laughs> so I think, absurd. I think the it it is that sort of absurd humour that tends to tickle you and I quite as much as it does. Um, but it's the absurdity lies in the fact that. This is not something he needed to say. Yeah. This is this is not an enhancement of the story he's telling. It makes no real difference to the the outcome. Only lies have detail. Well, yes, <laughs> indeed. Yeah. If you pause during the fight between him and the pterodactyl and look at the tattoo on his back, it simply says lies. <laughs> also, is there any significance to that weird medallion that he's wearing when he rips his shirt off? I don't know. What's the medallion? It's just a. It just looks like a plain gold disc on a chain. But I just wondered why it was there because he. he you never see it otherwise because he's always got his shirt I, on. I think it's because um, he was young in the seventies and it's very disco. Okay, mm-hmm. fair enough. <laughs> and that's just what he assumes that cool people wear. Mm. Cool, muscular dinosaur fighting people. Yeah. Um, I will also say that just referring slightly back to the Breakfast Club dancing, um, I love Ali Sheedy in the Breakfast Club and Mabel's handshaky collapse on the floor at the end makes me cheer. <laughs> <laughs> also, the, um, the it stems from the idea of, uh, well, uh, di- um, uh, Jurassic Park occurred because of uh, uh, mosquitoes that were preserved in amber and uh, Hirsch and I were of the appropriate age to be completely obsessed with Jurassic Park uh, when yeah. it came out um, but uh, this goes as far as to uh, preserve entire dinosaurs in amber but we've already had more absurd than that with President Trembley preserved in peanut, peanut brittle. brittle so the idea of a T-Rex preserved in amber is actually less absurd mm-hmm. yes <laughs> 
It just has to be sweet. Um, <laughs> there you go. Yeah. I, I love that you referred to this episode as a filler episode, because it kind of is, but it still has so many connections to yeah. episodes before and after it. We see a lot of just brief moments later, but um, Fiddleford is in this episode a lot, and he was the one who was making robot dinosaurs. I mean, mm-hmm. maybe he got an idea from here. Uh, we actually saw the, ro- the the dinosaurs in an earlier episode flashing in, um, what's his name, Blendon's suit, whenever oh, his yeah. suit's malfunctioning. And there's so many, like, small little things that we saw previously that actually pay off in in a sense. Like, it may be filler, but there's still so many connections. Yeah. Because this show has the ability to do that. It just It's it's like, oh, yeah, there's, we're just going to pay off a couple of things and set up a couple of things. And you're not even going to notice because this show just feels like it's a fun thing going by. And I, I love uh, um, Fiddleford McGucket's uh, line when uh, after Stan lies some more of a that's a suspicious sounding laugh (laughs) (laughs) although it it was a little horrifying at the end when he's like i ate my way out with my magical with my musical spoons and it's like okay buddy (laughs) oh he was also going he was going to eat um waddles when uh uh when Seuss, Seuss was, was in, in his body, and then when Seuss came out of Waddle's body, he was still going to eat him. Yeah. But, he was, but no, he was going to eat Seuss, mm. not Waddle's. It's an important clarification. Yeah, yeah. Just, just the, I'm still going to eat your boy. We also didn't mention the fact that a uh, random girl fell in love with Waddle's in Seuss's body. Specifically, if you tie and this up with... somehow proposed marriage. Yeah. Like, if you tie this up with the fact that Seuss is incredibly nervous talking to women, it suggests that maybe if he's just, you know, uh, stops thinking about it so much, he'll be, uh, you know, he'll have more luck. Mm-hmm. Just behave like a pig. Let the fursona take Oh, the pigs get all the women. <laughs> Except for the fact that Waddles is a very Waddles sweet pig. Waddles is a pig. sweet pig. I was going to say, he's not a pig pig. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Two more episodes and then we are done with episode... Um, 19 and 20 of uh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry Hashtag not all pigs (laughs) (laughs) I I apologize Waddles is living proof Do not apologize for that one, Theo (laughs) Okay, number 9 is Dreams Caperers Kids, come quick <laughs> I need you to laugh at this with me. Who's cute as a button and always your friend? Little T-I-D to the E-O-N. Wink. Little Gideon. Ugh, Gideon. Remember when I wouldn't date him and he tried to destroy us? He's always trying to trick me into losing the mystery shack. One time I caught him stealing my moisturizer. And yet our mutual hatred for him bonds us together. <laughs> Come on down to Little Gideon's tent of telepathy. Opening soon at this location. Uh, should we be worried about that? Please. The only way Gideon's taking over this shack is by breaking in and stealing my deed. You mean, like, right now? Uh, 38? 41? Oh, heavens to Betsy. Gideon! Well, well, Stanford, my arch nemesis. We seem to have entered a dangerous game of cat and mouse. But the question remains, who is the cat and who is the... Zeus, broom. Oh, no, not the broom! You mark my words, Stanford. One day I'm off. Get that combination. 
And once I steal that deed, you'll never see the Mystery Shack again! Good luck, bucko! Ha! The combo to this safe is in the one place I'll never find it. My brain. Your brain isn't as safe as you might think, Stanford Pines. This is the last straw. It's time to unlock the journal's greatest secret. And I've watched this several times, and I'm like, this is the one I can barely get my head around because so much stuff's going on. And this is the one where we first properly meet Bill Cipher. There's been a lot of triangles and a lot of eyes leading up to this this uh, up to this point and that's mainly down to the fact that it's like oh my god masonic imagery and just like put in loads of that kind of illuminati confirmed stuff into gravity falls and then they embodied that into this character who they didn't know at the time was going to become way bigger of a uh, 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 uh antagonist we don't necessarily need to talk about what happens in season two but meeting him here is very important and i'm gonna maybe sort of toss this over to someone for whom uh, Bill Cipher is their favorite character. Yes, Bill Cipher. <laughs> How did you know I'm it was so, you? I'm so excited that Bill Cipher is finally involved so I can start talking about him. Uh, I just love him as an antagonist. and I can't talk to the future events, but just the character of Bill being seemingly almost goofy, like cartoonishly goofy. Because mm. um, he's the superpowered being from somewhere else, kind of a trickster demon. And he has power in the dreamscape and the mindscape and all this kind of stuff. And we don't know anything about his future plans, let's say, but I love that he's presented in a way that is kind of disarming by how goofy he is a lot of the time. But He's genuinely frightening, and there's something about his voice and the way that he speaks everything with a certain kind of conviction. And even in the end of this episode, when Dipper realizes that he can, how he can defeat him, Bill just goes enough and like just ends that whole thing. He's like, "All right, look, I'm done. I like you know, you you foiled me. It wasn't because of all of this heroics, but I, I'm 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 out of here." It shows how effortlessly powerful Bill Cipher is while at the same time still playing by some kind of rules. And I swear, someday I am going to run some kind of role-playing game wherein the villain is Bill Cipher in (laughs) just some other form, and I'm going to have so much fun. (laughs) So Bill Cipher is this kind of um, being of, of pure chaos, kind of an overseeing wizard like lurking presence in Gravity Falls that has been imprisoned. Would that be correct? He's, well, he's intensely weird, in, and that becomes extremely relevant later. And the the point is, he's from he's from a, a realm of two dimensions, and he found that everybody there uh, couldn't think three-dimensionally they, they weren't as deep as he wanted to be as deep as he was so he destroyed that dimension and now wants to come into our dimension and that's his whole reason for being yeah. kind of that's that is an extremely abbreviated description of it but it's not that he's trapped as such he's trapped in whatever is left of the realm he is from but he 
desperately wants to be made real in our reality. And he can visit it through deal-making, through being summoned, but only as kind of an ephemeral, like, dream form. Mm. And that, uh, it, it just, in this episode, when Gideon summons him with his chanting of backwards message in backwards. What does he over say? This hemisphere, hemisphere was this. But it's <laughs> That's one of the things I love about this show is a lot of the time spells are rendered as backwards speech, but the messages that are backwards are something like backwards message, just back mask. It's very great. Uh, but it, it almost seems... It, it starts out where Gideon is like, oh, yeah, Gideon's the big bad, and he's going to call on this, this like, bigger demon thing for, for support. Mm. And then later on, we find out that Bill might be a bit more strong than Gideon suspected. Mm-hmm. Nicely done oh. there. <laughs> it tells you all you need to know about Bill mm-hmm. in the fact that, like, when he first shows up in this episode... He takes the teeth out of a deer's mouth. That was exactly what I was going to say. No, carry on. Describe it in detail. Oh. Uh, Debbie, you you would go for it. Oh, um, yeah, just that, like, it's... He is... That he is definitely... Well, number one, he's very chaotic. But number two, like, it sort of... Not sneaks up on you exactly, but... It's a slow dawning realization of just how terrifying Bill Cipher is. And, I mean, even as an adult, I'm like, oh, this, they put it in a veneer, like, safe for children, but this is still pretty damn terrifying. Like, the idea of this guy who can basically take over anyone's mind and, you know, try and you know, kind of do whatever he wants a lot of the time is is pretty terrifying. And I'm like, oh, man, that 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 is pretty intense for a kid's show. Yeah, I kind of I kind of feel that the reason why they pulled back a little bit on Discord and My Little Pony was because of Bill Cipher. Because hmm. Discord was a lot closer to Bill in the early appearances and he becomes less chaotic um, as the show goes on, and part of that is character development, but part of it is also that he was less scary, and I think it's because we saw what could really happen with Bill. That's an interesting consideration. So all Bill Cipher needs is a friend? I mean, we find out he's got lots of friends. Well, <laughs> let's call them hench maniacs. And, uh, <laughs> I, I, again, I love Bill's style. I, I just... Even whenever he first appears and he calls Gideon a ventriloquist dummy mm. and, and just the whole thing, hey, look what I can do, gestures towards a deer. The deer's teeth fly into his hand, gives teeth to Gideon. Deer teeth for you, kid. Like, I love, I love Bill Cipher so much. One of the things I do like that I want to mention that's a, a flash forward to many episodes, he refers to everybody very specifically by certain things mm-hmm. and like watch out for that because he calls Gideon Gideon. And but he, he says calls, pine tree, shooting he, star, and, and question, question mark, mark. to yeah. uh, uh, he, Dipper, Mabel, and Seuss, respectively. Yeah, and he almost always refers to them as such. Nice. Yeah, that that indeed pays off. 
Backwards message! Backwards message! Backwards message! Backwards message! Backwards message! Oh, oh, Gravity Falls, it is good to be back! Name's Bill Cipher. And I take it you're some kind of living ventriloquist dummy? <laughs> I'm just kidding, I know who you are, Gideon. Wh what are you? H how do you know my name? Oh, I know lots of things. Lots of things. Hey, look what I can do. Deer teeth, for you, kid. <laughs> you're insane! Sure I am, what's your point? Demon, I have a job for you. I need you to enter the mind of Stanford Pines and steal the code to his safe. <gasps> Wait, Stan Pines. You know what, kid? You've convinced me. I'm sold. I'll help you with this, and in return, you can help me with something I've been working on. We'll work out the details later. Deal. Well, time to invade Stan's mind. This should be fun. Remember, reality is an illusion, the universe is a hologram, buy gold, buy! The genius of the deer teeth thing is that it's really creepy as a sequence, because the deer is just like, is grazing nearby, and the teeth just sort of go, and get pulled out of its mouth, like, you know when Eric Lenscher does that with uh, someone's filling in X-Men First Class, although that absolutely traumatizes the guy? But he's an old banker knowingly helping old Nazis, so it's okay. The teeth yeah. are then given as a gift in this kind of, this makes sense to me, and uh, and Gideon is appalled and disgusted and is like, I'm in way over my head here, even though he doesn't say so. Um, yeah. And then Cypher flings the teeth back into the deer's head, who doesn't seem to be traumatized, and the deer wanders off, which is again... The makers of Gravity Falls being able to do something weird and unsettling and then just ease the children's minds and just go, it's okay, the deer wandered off with the teeth restored. It was weird though, wasn't it? Just so that they could have their cake and eat it via deer teeth. It's, <laughs> it's, 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 it was masterfully done. And Gideon even just, like, shocked, is like, you're insane! And Bill just says, sure I am, what's your point? And his <laughs> fingers, and all the teeth fly back. Like, it's so perfect. Just Bill is here for it. Here for the weirdness, here for the wackiness, might be here because of or causing said wackiness. And I love it so, so very much. This, that actually kind of reminds me of something that I read earlier this week about um, the reason that the person writing the the essay was a little bit questionable about memes and how uh, all-encompassing they've become and that they're like this huge thing now. Because the idea of memes that get circulated and particularly ones that go viral is that they are meant to connect with you very quickly and they're not meant to require a great deal of thought to understand them and feel them on a basic level. So the the successful ones are designed to basically key straight into the lizard brain, to get past all of your rational faculties, to um, not require any kind of context or framing, just to go straight for the fight or flight reflex. And gravity falls and... Uh, shows like it that 
have very strange stuff, if you take it out of context, seem to me to be much better and of a, a massive artistic quality when they can incorporate those things into context take things that don't really have any meaning if you take them individually and weave them into something which is bigger and that encourages thinking about it and that that whole thing about oh don't think too deeply about it it's just this i hate that i want to think deeply about everything i want 90 meanings to something that the person didn't intend to mean that much because to me that's where the the depth is 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 being able to find things that to all intent and purposes are not there and um yeah that this is, is a really good example of that that's really ironic in a very specific way because whenever you because we talk on twitter about when to record and we frequently use animated jifes of gravity falls in those conversations because it is extremely extremely like clippable Mm. if if you look at the actual like the the you know that panel in in twitter for all the the jifes there's a bazillion for gravity falls it's ridiculous Mm -hmm. Going back to Gorney from the the episode of Summerween, like I said, he got swallowed by uh, uh, this uh, no-face ghost thing. Uh, And uh, it's notable that the spirit of Summerween has candy corn teeth. That won't mean anything to uh, anyone English, but they're little triangular um, American sweets, which is, you know, that fall under the banner of loser candy. But when he comes back out, he goes, anybody? I've been twamatized. <laughs> yep. But he says it in a cheerful way, in a way that it's like, we're not going to kind of mess mess you around, kids. He's been in a monster's stomach for a good evening. <laughs> yeah. But it kind of reminded me of, it's again, there's so much Simpsons in this, and in the best way possible, like uh, of uh, Ralph Wiggum going, <laughs> I'm in danger. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, and... Uh, so this one, we also meet Zyla and Chaz, who are straight out of Mabel's head. And these guys are like, in the early 90s, late 80s, there were a lot of cartoons that have now been forgotten. Pretty much all of We Hate Movies, Animation, Damnation tends to concern itself with this. They, they were bad cartoons, by and large. They, they, they weren't um, well written. There wasn't much development. It was just like, you know... The, episode by episode go by and it like it it was all self-contained and it was re- it pressing the reset button every time but there was a certain style to it a certain like trying to be cool for the kids and gravity falls does really well at recapturing that look like the the bill and ted's excellent adventure cartoon it reminds me of Maxie's oh, yeah. world, it reminds me of. Um, Denver Gem the Last... Gem and the Holograms. Gem and the Holograms. Gem and the Holograms, absolutely. Yeah. Denver the Last Dinosaur. 
Uh, anything oh, which basically, flashbacks. yeah, um, uh, the Stone Protectors. Anything which was basically like, we're going to do a rock and roll band because that's what kids like. So we're going to need a guitar and an electronic drum kit because we don't want to come, like m- you know mess around with guitars and drums. Those things which are going to be completely outmoded now mm-hmm. because we've got technology and these things that we look back on now as wow, they they actually thought that electronic drum kits would replace drums. Mm-hmm. Um, but these guys are, are straight out of that, all down to the belly shirts. And uh, it was a note um, Alex Hirsch mentioned on one of the commentaries. He said that Zyla and Chaz have the IQ of a golden retriever or a fruit roll-up that came to life. I resemble that, Mark. <laughs> it is really smart. Yeah, but um, when he said golden retriever, I thought immediately of Mr. Peanut Butter. Well, yeah. Me like, too. Yep, absolutely correct on that. This episode is uh, also, because they go into Stan's mind... Uh, it's uh, it's about secrets and better understanding someone who is close but objectionable. And Dipper sees a fragment of conversation wherein Stan talks about um, uh, him being basically a little weenie and he just wants to get rid of him. And he later finds out that Stan was saying, that's what they said to me, so I'm hard on uh, Dipper to um, toughen him up so that he can deal with it better. And, like... I'm, I'm fairly certain that the show itself is disapproving of Stan's behavior to uh, Dipper because that's just fucking Fletcher from um, Whiplash. Mm. Well, the for me, the key comes in the scene where Stan talks about his dad having sent him to learn boxing. Yeah. And then... The example that he gives of showing that in his mind this quote-unquote worked is that he's in a a line for the cinema, I believe, and there's a girl behind him and somebody comes up to her and is behaving objectionably and Stan whips round and punches the guy Mm. and yells, left hook? Left hook. hook. Left hook. But the way that that is set up and the way he reacts... It's an exact replica of the thing that he did instinctively in the boxing ring. Mm -hmm. It's not that he learned to sculpt his responses. It's not that he's learned a better way to process his uh, his impulses or anything like that. There's no judgment in it. Trauma-based reactions. Absolutely. It's very different to someone actually you know, long-term learning a martial art, for example, or something which, you know, builds confidence mm. and, and gives you more of a sense of who you are um, or something like that. That is not what Stan learned from this lesson that his father was trying to you teach You could learn Taekwondo and be in a band in the uh, late 80s, early 90s. <laughs> yes, you could. You could also time. have friends forever. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> You, you could be against the ninja. You could be an all pan. <laughs> yes. Okay, if you haven't seen or listened to our uh, Miami Connection episode, all that was fucking funny. But <laughs> Miami Connection, folks, it's it's uh, one of our best. Um, but, but yeah, effectively, Stan is raising um, Dipper wrong. And over the course of the next season, Stan starts to be less of a colossal asshole, which is... Um, development for like I love the fact that he starts off this rotten shyster and then we have only up to go from here there's also a Zardoz reference because uh, Gravity Falls is rich in irony and most satirical most satirical 
Yeah, because you get a giant stone stan head. Uh, they beat um, uh, Bill Cipher here with the power of dreams because it's kind of like uh, the end of it, chapter two, actually. I'm naming all these shows that we all took part in. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> Where they kind of like, uh, they, they master, um, like, going, well, this is effect, like, none of this is real, so we can do whatever we want. Well, the real way that they defeat Bill is just as he's about to give the combination for the safe to Gideon, mm. uh, Mabel shoots it into the bottomless pit from Stan's memories, where mm. we hear that none more bottomless than the bottomless pit line. Nice. Um, and then they do the big fight, but Bill's just kind of like, like, enough. Like, I've already lost. Gideon's already called off the deal. Like, you know, I'm out of here, basically. Uh, and he makes some kind of ominous threat, threat to them that I'm desperately trying to find in the transcript. He is but... also overwhelmed by kitten heads that uh, Mabel he fires is. at him. Those yes. are awesome. <laughs> yeah, well, it, so they, they all, like, uh, Seuss and Mabel and Dipper all attack Bill using, like, the dream powers, and Xyler and Kraz help out. They... They use backing instrumentals, but and, and he appears like in any other cartoon, Bill would be defeated by this. Mm. But then he just goes, no, 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 enough. And he becomes like huge and yellow. And he just says, I'm impressed with you guys. You're more clever than you look, especially the fat one, which is when Seuss tells Mabel he's talking about you, which I find very funny. Yes. <laughs> but then he says, so I'm going to let you kids off the hook. You might come in handy later, but know this, a darkness approaches. A day will come in the future when everything you care about will change. Until then, I'll be watching you. And he disappears as his words echo. But the thing that really defeats him is the fact that Gideon is like, no, the deal is off. I'll find my own way into the safe, which, as we talked about earlier, he does via high explosives. Hmm. Um, the second best option after uh, immortal demons. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I mean, how, that's how I go about breaking into things. If You know, like I can't find a key to my house. <laughs> I summon an immortal demon. If that doesn't work, I blow up the door. Really, and if that doesn't work, I call my friend who has a spare key and have him come over and open the door for me. Really, that's my solution for, like, most things. Not just, like, you know, oh, I forgot my key. Oh, this student is being really annoying. Oh, I have so many things to grade. Just demon summoning every time. Peanut butter jars. Peanut butter oh. jars. Well, that's usually what I offer to the demons. And that line about uh, I'll be watching, then when you go back and watch uh, all of season one of uh, Gravity Falls, you'll notice that there are so many eyes everywhere, which just, like I said, they were throwing in Masonic imagery anyway. But Lyra pointed out that even the knots on the trees look like Mm, eyes. There are eyes everywhere in the forest. Which makes you feel like Bill is there and was there and watching even when they hadn't really had that in Which mind. Which is that Pennywise feeling that yeah. he yeah. is part of Gravity Falls, that he is there in the foundations. Even down to uh, their window is triangular and at one point uh, like a rock or something gets thrown through it creating an eye-like aperture in the window. It Actually, it is an it is a uh, a glass eyeball they were using in one of the previous episodes for Attic Mini Golf. Well, smashes it. through the center of the window, and it is itself an eye nice. that flies through the window. So the but eye creates a, an eye hole. There's a ton of triangles all throughout the Mystery Shack too. Oh, yeah. yeah. And it ends on a cliffhanger because uh, Gideon then gets the deed to the shack, and uh, Alex Hirsch admitted himself that um, uh, his. 
their mastery of the law of uh, deeds being that all Gideon has to do is hold the deed in his hand and thus yeah. the shack belongs to him is uh, not not entirely legally binding, but to kids it's fine. <laughs> yeah. So they kind of get reminds, away with it. It reminds me of one of my favorite things in all of Comicsdom, mm. which was from an issue of the Submariner where he's marrying the woman that's not Sue Storm that he's in love with. Mm. Um, and... Another villain basically did the, I'm going to make myself look like this woman, and then we're going to go through the ceremony, and he's going to kiss me, and we're going to be married. Does that whole thing, reveals herself, does her monologue. He's like, but we were actually legally married hours ago. We signed the paperwork. This is a ceremony. Like, you you can't just kiss me in front of a bunch of people and we're legally married. That's not how this works. <laughs> yes. Also, you're pretending to be someone else, which fundamentally means that that contract is null and void. Hmm. Exactly, yeah. But I, it, I, I remember reading that, and it was maybe 1230 at night, like, and I think I woke Debbie <laughs> up shouting, yes, exactly! <laughs> yes. I, I, I recall this, yes. He was very, he was very excited and vindicated yes. at that point. <laughs> but that then leads us to a, a different episode where um, uh, they start off no longer in the shack and, and Gideon has control of it and the stakes are raised in a really clever, crafty way because they were getting to the end of... This is the last episode of season one. This might have been the last episode. And it's a kid's show. They're not going to kill Dipper and Mabel. They're not going to destroy all of Gravity Falls and, and everybody in it. But the stakes are, uh, they, they say, you know, they're staying with Seuss's Abuelita, and I started to feel really sorry for, um, for her because her home is in disarray and disrepair. There's nothing in the fridge. And when the kids yeah. say, can we order a pizza, Grunkle Stan in a darkened kitchen turns out his pockets and has nothing. And I've been there. We've been there many times in our life. Just mm-hmm. no money. And we're fucked. And his decision very soberly is, this has gotten out of control. I'm just going to send the kids home. And then he you know, calls their parents and gets them tickets, lays them down and says, you're going home. And that's the end of season one. And and that's the tension of the episode. Like, this is all coming to an end. And kids completely can buy into this. Because we've all been in a situation where we've been told way too early, no, the thing that you thought that was fun that we were going to be doing, we now can't do. In a move that has all of Gravity Falls buzzing, child psychic Gideon Gleeful has taken surprise ownership of the Mystery Shack, previously belonging to area shyster Stanford Pines. That picture's taken out of context. Now that you have the shack, what exactly are you planning to do with it? I have a big announcement to make today, and I'd like to cordially invite all the good people at Gravity Falls to join me. Free admission to everyone who wears their Gideon pins! It's my face. I just can't believe Gideon beat us. Normally I'm able to save the day. This is all my fault. Don't worry, Dipper. Looks like Mabel's gonna have to be the hero of the family now. I'll defeat Gideon with my grappling hook! Mabel, no offense, but that grappling hook has literally never helped us once. Oh, yeah? Jelly grab! I vacuumed the walls now. So you lost the shack. Look on the bright side, dudes. Now you get to live here with me, Seuss. Hey, anyone want to play race cars? They're out of batteries, but we can make pretend. (coughs) Would it be a new low if I ate that? (laughs) I'm just kidding. I'm totally eating it. (coughs) 
and Dipper and Mabel handle this in a surprisingly mature fashion. Yeah. Even though they're unhappy, they don't. They try to come up with oh. solutions, but they're not. They're not bratty about it. They're not. Um, they don't blame Grunkle Stan or yeah. anyone else for what happened. They blame Gideon because it is in fact his fault. But you know they're they're not trying. They're not taking it out on somebody who isn't at fault. Also, it, it did. I did find the whole uh, thing about Seuss's abuelita a little bit unbelievable, just because a Hispanic grandmother. Saying she can't feed everyone. Yeah, that's tragic. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, even yeah, even if she couldn't because of the lack of food, she would never admit to that. Yeah, yeah. that would be greatly shameful for her. That that's a fine point. It's it's a wonderful inclusivity to to have Sus and Abuelita and, and uh, Marmando uh, be uh, Hispanic and Latino, but uh, yeah, absolutely right. Culturally speaking. Uh, there's all kinds of grandmothers from all over the world, uh, Eastern European grandmothers who are like, oh, you're too skinny. Their one job is to make sure the kids eat well. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's <clears throat> that's, you know, that's such a, a basic cultural thing in so many cultures. Yeah. Is, you know, as, as Kari will say, manja, manja, manja. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah, my, my grandmother, all that. Manja, manja, tu feranda. Eat, <laughs> you'll grow big. That's that, what you always told me. Was she up. Italian? Oh yes. Oh, very Italian. <laughs> My grandmother was. Uh, was she Italian or a mixture of Italian and French? Italian and French. Italian and French. Yeah. Yes. Uh, that uh, like Nana reminds me Malta. of. Was again very big on making sure we ate uh, and had a, a smorgasbord. All oh, that's a, um, a <laughs> Swedish term. But we uh, we had a cornucopia of uh, foodstuffs to uh, uh, to eat when we were there. So. Yeah, that's a. But again, like I just, I, I, I wanted Abuelita to have a, a better w- uh, way of living there, and it doesn't get resolved in this episode, at least. Um, I do like later on when Abuelita reveals to us, the audience, that watching Seuss's life play out is her soap opera. It's well observed that Mexican grandmas just love their daytime relationship drama serials. One thing that is neat is they go back to the gnomes from the uh, first episode and recruit them as allies. And that's something that uh, I think a lot of uh, fans of uh, comics and anime love, which is the idea of um, uh, someone who was previously an antagonist now being protagonist or a supporter of the protagonist. So that harkens back to episode one and it harkens forward and I will not say any more than that, but if you've seen the end of... Uh, uh, if you've seen all of season two, you'll know what I'm talking about regarding that. So Gideon's got hold of a mystery shack, and he's going to turn it into Gideon Land, this disgusting theme park that's a monument to himself. And he's built not just this giant Gideon statue, but what turns out to be a giant Gideon Gundam. And he wants to get, in his eyes, both of the journals, uh, which means he's got to get one off of uh, Dipper, uh, because he uh, believes that if he's got these two together, he can open a portal to unlimited, well, just uh, to great power. And that was the thing they were teasing us with throughout this this whole um, season. As it turns out, there are three journals. Gideon had was in possession of one. Dipper found the uh, third one in uh, the forest, and Stan had hold of the other one. And these three journals finally wind up combined together at the end. Which we see at the end of this, like at the very end of this season. Hmm. And we see 
then Google Stan has all three journals in his possession. And the way uh, Gideon ends up going into this giant Gundam version of himself and puts on this little motion capture suit with uh, with white dots on it, which is both Pacific Rim, you know, there's, there's a more Pacific Rim stuff coming up in uh, in season two, but also predates Spider-Man Far From Home and certain stuff that happens in that regarding motion capture suits and like... Wow, that's that's really similar. So the previous episode was really the turn towards the darker elements of the story that we get into in season two. Mm-hmm. And in this one, it's kind of just Dipper and Mabel with Seuss and Stan uh, taking back the shack to un- undo the, the darker ending of the previous episode, which is like a really good low moment. But there's there doesn't seem to be a whole lot to talk about it. Like the most important long lasting thing is the the books coming together and the portal hmm. being activated. Um, and I guess the gnomes coming back as we get to see yeah. Smebulok again. <laughs> Smebulok. Uh, but I mean, at the time, I, if you watch it in context, uh, Gideon's been an antagonist repeatedly throughout uh, season one. And it felt like he was the big bad and that he needed mm-hmm. to be vanquished. And specifically that Stan's the one who eventually uncovers uh, that he has been committing subterfuge and surveillance uh, to facilitate the manipulation of trusting middle Americans. Uh, And this is from a power-mad child, this out-of-control id, who himself is being manipulated by a nefarious overseeing force who just seems to want to mess with people. And it just felt like um, that, that feels more relevant now than it did back then yeah (laughs) that's fair i I think it's also important the the most important character beat i think for this episode is when stan gets the journal at the end dipper has a moment of panic Mm. and mabel is like dipper you took down a giant robot with your bare hands you don't need that journal which is like kind of a good moment as as dipper is trying to like figure out who he is because so many of the previous episodes had been defined by the knowledge that the journal gave him. Yeah. The journal has for Dipper, I think, been a a reflector of what's going on in his head and the way he perceives the world that has given him confidence by saying to him, no, it's not just you. Somebody else saw all this too and wrote it down. Yeah, it's in many ways, it's a totem for him. It's this proof that, again, and I keep coming back to this, Dipper is a very lonely character. And he has found a friend in the author of the journal, somebody who understands him, somebody who sees the world that he sees and and can put it in terms that not only does he understand, but also thrives with. Absolutely. And, you know, hands up anybody who connects more with the written word than they do with actual humans. Hmm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just My a little bit. Mm-hmm. Mildly related to that, I also want to point out that it seems that Gideon's downfall is that he left his his bailiwick, his wheelhouse, again, his thing is magic. And he decided that eh, the magic's scary, I guess high tech. Mm. And the high, and then and it fell apart. Yeah, because he doesn't really understand it. That's not his area of expertise. Hmm. 
Exactly. In fact, you could connect his uh, his con artist behavior. Ooh. Okay. This is, this is just coming to my head, so bear with me. It might end up going nowhere. <laughs> but it, we talked about sort of the parallels between Gideon's con artistry and Stan's. Gideon's is very manipulative and based in sort of twisting people's psychology, which it could be argued is in the ballpark of magic. And Stan's is in constructing fakery, which is the tech and science side of things. So it's basically science versus magic. Mm. Very much so, yeah. But... Of course, Grunkle Stan being, you know, he's, let's say, 60, 70 years old. I, you know, we don't know, but roughly, that's that's what they seem to be going for here. Whereas Gideon is, what, 13? No, not even. He's a bit, yeah, I think a bit younger than uh, Mabel and Dipper. So, you know, 12, 11 or 12, and... So he like he's working off of his own un, you know very very limited and flawed understanding of human nature, and so obviously most of the time Grunkle Stan is going to beat him because Grunkle Stan is a you know an adult man who has who has spent a lot of time with people and is more empathetic than he's willing to let on, and so yes of course he would be. He would be better at this than, you know, a 12-year-old kid or 10 or however yeah. much. I always feel like Gideon may be a little bit younger than them, which is part of what makes it so awkward with uh, Mabel. Mm-hmm. Like, he's maybe 10. Yeah. And he is most definitely afflicted with little man syndrome. Oh, yeah. yeah. Hence that enormous haircut. And the, the, uh, he actually actively requires uh, himself to be picked up to get to threatening eye level in uh, the uh, episode before. <laughs> Which is the antithesis of sort of hunkering down to talk to somebody who's shorter than you so that you don't yeah. intimidate them. Um, there's also a little blood in this episode when uh, Dipper gets knocked back um, uh, and uh, is on his own and, and uh, Gideon has uh, Mabel. Uh, and... Yeah, he's bleeding a little bit out of his nose. That must have taken uh, requests. I know that for the um, for this last episode, uh, Alex Hirsch had to beg the studio, "Can we have one additional minute of screen time, just to, just to, to extend it a little bit?" And the fact that he had to keep like uh, you know sending notes because in their edit, they just they needed to let it play out a little bit more than uh, than than cutting it to the bone would have made it. Um, mm-hmm. So then when Dipper. You know, runs in, jumps off a cliff, and you know, just braves this leap of faith to take out Gideon, smashing through his eye to collide with Gideon himself and rescue Mabel. We then finally get this. Obviously, this Gundam falls down and smashes, but the grappling hook, which got brought in in the very Yay. beginning, the first thing that uh, Mabel picked. Um, that she said, grappling hook. And they even like uh, have her at the, at the beginning of this episode, and uh, Dipper mentions, this has never in any way helped us. Turns out to be the thing that uh, mm. they end up dangling from and surviving after this uh, otherwise <laughs> fatal fall. And it's a lovely way of um, Dipper and Mabel coming together and, and their um, you know, bravery and resourcefulness yeah, saving the day. 
it's it's a lovely climax to this uh, first season. But again, it works best in conjunction with uh, Dreamscaperers because you then also get the Bill Cipher connection. It's also important to uh, mention the importance of the TV show Dallas uh, when it comes to uh, the making of this because Dallas contained the uh, episodes... Uh, who shot JR, which thus led to the Simpsons episode uh, double bill of uh, Who Shot Mr. Burns, which made Alex Hirsch the uh, animated detective that he was back in the day, uh, and that thus influenced Gravity Falls. So thank you, Dallas. Thank you, Simpsons. And uh, thanks, Gravity Falls, to whatever kids are watching this now who are going to go on to make something to write even their own better. <laughs> It could actually be my uh, nephews who are in the living room right now with my parents watching Gravity Falls. <laughs> you raised them right. <laughs> okay. Uh, and then there's this final music, which, uh, you know, just gives me absolute chills because Stan finally puts these uh, um, uh, journals together. He's gotten hold of Dipper's journal whilst laughing it off and pretending he doesn't know anything about it. And, uh, you know, because he snuck down to the basement in that first episode, we get the payoff here. He's got some equipment down there. It's like a bunker out of Lost. And he is now able to open the portal at last, which was a fantastic way to end this season. And it's got this incredible, like, exciting, stirring music. And then it completely blindsided Alex and company because they were like, now we have to follow up on that for season two. What the hell are we going to do? (laughs) And they actually kind of dodge it a little bit. It doesn't really pay off properly for a few episodes into season two. So we will be back next time to talk about what happens then. As the portal is open. Hey, Grunkle Stan. Me and Mabel have been talking, and I think there's something we should finally tell you. This is a journal I found in the woods. It talks about all the crazy stuff that goes on in Gravity Falls. Gideon nearly destroyed the whole town trying to find it. I don't know what it means or who wrote it, but after all we've been through, maybe you should finally know about it. I'm glad you showed me this, Dipper. <laughs> now I know where you've been getting it all from. Spookums and monsters. This kooky book has been filling your head with crazy conspiracies. But it's all real. <laughs> you gotta quit reading this fantasy nonsense for your own good. Although some of these would make great attractions. Can't come up with this stuff. Mind if I borrow this? Wait, no! Google Stan! Magic book. <laughs> Ridiculous. Stan, I need it! Dipper, you don't need that book. Don't you see? On your own, you defeated a giant robot with nothing but your bare hands. You're a hero whether you've got that journal or not. Whoa. Thanks, Mabel. I still want it back, though. I'm sure you'll get it back. What would a boring old man like Stan want with that book anyway? School of Movies is funded by Patreon. Our $15 sponsors get credit every episode, so thank you too. Aaron Lecluse, Abel Savard, Alex Outridge, Angus Lee, Benjamin Hoffer, Brian Novak, Cassandra Newman, Chris Finnick, Christopher Wolfe, Kieran Dashler, Connor Kennedy, Dan Mayer, Daniel Salguero, Dan Hepner, Dave Hickman, David Sheely, Duran Barnett, Evan Jankowski, Finbar Nicole, Frankie Punzi, Greg Downing, Jameis Enright, Jesse Ferguson, Joe Gasiga, Joe Crow, Joel Robinson, Johan Clayson, Joseph Gluck, Kat Esman, Kevin Vahey, Lorraine Chisholm, Mark Luksh, Matthew A. Siebert, Matthew Webb, Michael Hasco, Scott Jacob, Sarah Montgomery, Tim Rosensky, Timothy Green, Toby Jungius, 
Tom Painter, Trey Contreras, and Valencia Burns. These last two episodes are great because they completely changed the dynamic of the show. Mm -hmm. Like before now, it's kind of, yeah, you had some some hit and dropping with, with, with Uncle Stan going down behind the vending machine, but to have it pay off uh even in a small way but the 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 stakes the, like there's now there's this overwhelming the overarching sort of feeling of the it's not just a goofy mystery of the week kind of thing uh even with the little hints and stuff in the background it's there's something out there that's driving all this weirdness and it's a threat so now they now the whole show has this this hanging over it mm-hmm. and it completely changes the dynamic of the show and I just love it. Absolutely. And it kind of it, it's a nice little easter egg also because um uh because you had kind of forgotten about that because it you know so much has happened in other ways that it's like oh yeah he did go behind the vending machine what was that about? <laughs> I'm just excited to talk more about Bill in the future. <laughs> uh-huh. Okay. We will be back with more next time, folks. Uh, before we go, where can people find stuff that you folks are <coughs> proud of? Uh, start with Caro and Debbie. All right. Uh, you can find us at sequentially-yours.com, um, where we talk about uh, comic books, do close readings and uh, deep dives into them as well as comic book media, movies, etc. Um, I'm particularly fond of an editorial I did on, and this was before the movie came out, but Valerian and how to do an adaptation, specifically if you wanted to do a uh, franchise. And we are both also on Twitter. Um, he is MoonPanther22, and I am Bastet8300, or you can look us up by name, either way. Um, and I... Generally, if we see a movie, I, you know, I do a tweet thread about it, and you know, I'm particularly proud of some of them. Victoria, Luna, a raven swooping over the moon. Uh, <laughs> uh, Victoria, uh, what, where how, can people find stuff that you particularly are proud of? Um, maybe an episode you've been on or, or, or previous podcasts or, or something well. else that's a project. Well, you can always find me on Twitter at VixenWitch, where the W is two Vs, because I like to live deliciously. But <laughs> most of my stuff that I've contributed to that are, is for public consumption is found on this very feed. I'm going to go back and listen to our 300 episode again, because you mentioned CrossFit Shrek. Right. <laughs> And recently, the we did that. You released the episode that we did on the crimes of Grindelwald, which I, I think we had a pretty good conversation about something that was perhaps lackluster. Hmm. And Theo, what uh, have you been a part of that uh, is worth uh, mentioning? Well, I'm a voice actor for the New Century Multiverse, and everyone should listen to it. I'm trying to think of an episode that's kind of like Gravity Falls. I think probably any time Malloy turns up, it suddenly becomes more like Gravity Falls. <laughs> <laughs> We are going to end on that incredibly epic finale music. And uh, I have been Alex Shaw. I've been Sharon Shaw. And school's out.